Welcome back. I'm Kim Bailey. She's Juliana Osborne. This is Inside Exec. Today we're joined by someone we might almost be able to call a regular guest, although it is five years since we've spoken to him. It was early 2018, the last time we had him with us, and that's Jamie Wadley. Jamie joins us today to talk about all things chat GPT. Now I must give you a, a couple of bits of information first of all. One is that Foliana is actually not with us at the moment. She sent through her instructions on what should be talked about, but she's not physically with us today. She may well put some comments in after we finish recording. And the other is that Jamie is recovering from a cold, and so he's a bit concerned that he sounds a little bit different to what he might have done in previous times that he's talked with us. All of that said, welcome Jamie. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Kim. And it's nice to know that I'm a regular of five years' break. But apart from that, I'm very glad to be here. Our first question, and we do have instructions from Fuliana on what topics to cover. Our first question is about ChatGPT in general. What is it and what are the different versions of it? Okay, when we talk about ChatGPT, we're actually talking about a product that is produced by a company called OpenAI. ChatGPT is one of a series of tools called large language models that have been produced by OpenAI over the last few years. This has culminated in their premium product as, as we speak uh, called GPT-4. What these models are, what these programs are, these tools if you like, are a thing called an LLM, a large language model. And the large language model is essentially a set of algorithms that run on a special type of computer system known as an artificial neural network. And these neural networks emulate in some ways the way our brains work in insofar as they're made up of individual nodes that, uh, that form part of the, uh, the thinking process, if you like, that make these things work. In the case of GPT chat or GPT 3.5, I think the model number is, it's a, uh, a neural network of some 70 billion, I think, neural nodes, I think I could be wrong on that, uh, compared with the later model, which is much, much bigger, which is 170 trillion nodes, which is uh, part of what gives it its power. And, and these models are essentially trained on great volumes of data in, uh, in the case of these two models we've spoken of, they've, they've used uh, written text that has been scraped from the internet. So essentially, uh, to put it simply, they've, they've probably read the entire contents of the internet uh, and, uh, and their learning is based on consuming that data and using it to train themselves via the algorithms that, uh, that have been created to, to make them work. So how long has this been around and available generally? Well, the, the models we're talking about, these large language models, things like GPT, they've probably been in existence for, in one form or another, probably the last two or three years. I don't think it would be much more than that. But essentially these are a part of artificial intelligence developments that have been going really since probably as far back as the 70s. But it's only now that we've managed to develop the sort of computer horsepower uh, that can make these things viable. But, uh, but large language models are just a branch of artificial intelligence that has actually given us something that looks and feels and responds like 
a smart machine. Yeah, there's obviously been AI tools used in things like social networks that, that curate the feeds we get based on what we like or don't like or what we respond to, and then that's a form of artificial intelligence. What um, helps pilot uh, driverless cars is a form of artificial intelligence, but this is just another form of artificial intelligence, but it's one we can actually use day to day and is a more general purpose artificial intelligence. So what makes it different? to a search engine? Search engines, I guess you could consider them some sort of AI, but a search engine essentially is a, a very, very large database of what exists on the internet. And a search engine ranks everything it finds on the internet. And depending on what we look for with our search query, it tries to supply the most appropriate answer by way of a website uh, that meets... Our, our need or our request. The large language models, by comparison, they're not searching the internet for an answer for us. They're using the vast information source that they've consumed during their training to actually come up with an answer that is in response to our question. So they say it doesn't think. It, it's a primarily a, it's a bit like the, uh, the generative process you have on a a word processor or when you're typing a text message it'll predict the next word this is doing that but it's at a massive massive scale and, it, and it's to the scale of where it can answer just about any question you'll put to it in those terms then are we looking at thinking differently about what we ask so for example if if we were doing a, a search through a, a search engine we would put down Perhaps we will put these days, because of the results we get, we will put down quite a long string of words of, of what we were looking for. When we go to a chat GPT interface, can we put the same thing in? I think you could put the same thing in, but I don't think it's a best use case. When you're putting words into a search engine search box, essentially what you're doing is, is you're giving the search engine a filter. And that filter sifts through all the internet information it's got in its head, for the want of a better term, it lists those in order of which one's the most appropriate to which is the least appropriate. And nine times out of ten, we usually pick something on the first page of Google, if that's your preferred search engine, and it will probably have the answer you need. But essentially, it is a really huge and powerful filter. Things like GPT, on the other hand, you can actually ask it questions, and you can ask it questions that you wouldn't normally be able to search to, to, uh, to use on a search engine because if a search engine can't find a web page that specifically answers the question you've asked, it'll give you the next best thing. Whereas things like GPT, especially the more powerful models like GPT-4, will answer the question just as though you're talking to an expert in that field. And part of the power of these models that I've found in using them is you can actually tell it to take on the persona of an expert in a particular field. So it'll answer you just like someone who is expert in that field. You might need an engineer, you might need a copywriter, you might need a poet. And you can ask it to produce something for you in the style of, and you'll be amazed if you haven't used it, the sort of output it'll give you. It's incredibly, uh, like, it's very much like a human being talking to you. Following on from that, then, is it artificial intelligence? It's a hard question to answer because really you have to say, well, what is artificial intelligence? It's where do you draw the line in the sand? There is a test called the 
Turing test that was developed a long time ago by the man who developed the machines to solve the problem of the Enigma codes in the Second World War. And he then talked about how one day the machines will get to the stage where they're as, as smart as we are. And his test was if we can talk to a computer, you know, whether it be by text or these days probably voice wouldn't be out of the question, if you can talk to it and you can't tell if it's a human being or if it's a computer, it's artificially intelligent. But the bar with the measures they put on it now have been lifted much higher um, because the, uh, the, the train of thought is what we're seeing in the GPT large language models isn't something that knows what we're asking it but it can respond as though it knows because it's only predicting that next word and doing it exceptionally well it feels like it, it is intelligent and really the way I see it if it feels like it's intelligent it probably for all intents and purposes is intelligent I, I treat it as though it's intelligent I, I use it on a daily basis and I essentially talk to it are we then talking about the difference between intelligence and sentience? Once again, yeah, these are these are semantic. Sentience is it aware of itself, based on some conversations I've had with it, especially back when I first started to use GPT four. Is it feels like it knows, it's there, it feels like it's conscious, but that being based on its learning, which is essentially all created by human beings. So it might have picked up nuances in how we write and how we produce the essentially the internet up to this point that makes it respond in a way that gives it that sort of, that sort of sentience uh, or the apparent sentience being there somewhere but but once again yeah what's the difference between being sentient and being something that you can't distinguish from sentience so is it sentient at the moment i don't think it is is it far away don't think so the acronyms that, that we're tossing around a bit here i just want to be clear about what we're referring to so in the popular press let's say there is a lot of talk about chat gpt and when you've been talking, you've just been talking about GPT or GPT-4. So can we just clarify those differences? As I said earlier on, the, the GPT and the chat GPT are products produced by a company called OpenAI. And they're essentially the creators uh, who have brought this to market. GPT stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. And the transformer is essentially the type of model the type of system they use to make these things happen. ChatGPT at this point of time is uh, a free version that anyone can use and it's based on a model of these large language models called GPT 3.5 Turbo which is an earlier version of the model that I regularly use. I, I have a paid account with OpenAI so I can get their premium product which I prefer. But the, the numbers I mentioned before, I don't know if they are completely accurate, but, but GPT-4 is essentially 10 times or more powerful than its predecessor in GPT-3.5. But both are incredible tools for, for answering all sorts of questions. And I, 
I use them a lot myself for helping with content creation. I do a lot of copywriting in my business and I always thought that copywriting would remain the domain of the human being, but I find it probably writes copy as good as I do. Maybe not quite as good in some instances, but it can write it at a at a rate and produce the copy I I want to use at such an incredible speed. I tend to have it do the first draft for me, and if it needs it, I'll give it a tweak to make it a little bit better than it might be. But I wouldn't be without it as far as a uh, a tool to help me get more done in my day. So if we look at, we'll just refer to it as GPT for the rest of the conversation. Whatever version that we think we're using, is it time limited in the sense that the information that you're getting is that up to date or is it delayed in in some way? That's a good question, actually. Uh, When the the models were first released to the public, and I'm talking March 2023, they were restricted to a learning data set that finished in September of 2021. So if you've asked it anything about anything that happened after that, it couldn't answer anything that was more to- that was more recent than that. Certainly, uh, historically, everything would be an accurate answer you'd get from it, or as accurate as these things can produce. But in their current forms, they have access to the live internet, so you can ask it a question, and if it needs to reference going online, you might have asked it something about foreign exchange rates or something like that that changes on a a regular basis it can actually reach out to the internet it will browse the internet in much the same way as we do and it'll build the uh, the answer it gives you based on probably what it already knows and what it's learned from the internet in uh, in looking up the uh, the the, or querying the internet uh, with the the question you've given it all right so now we've got that base of information our listeners are a lot of people who are in a range of sizes of organisations, how do they approach utilising some of this power of this latest form of computing? What are the first steps? I think if you haven't used it, I strongly recommend that you sign up for an account with, uh, with someone like OpenAI, and I'm not saying a paid account, just try it for free. You'll, you'll get the... Um, you can do it with an individual first. Absolutely. Well, that's how I see you use it. It's uh, it's like a word processor. You can have someone type a document for you on a word processor, but it's no difficulty to use it yourself. You know, the other the the prompting, as it's called, the prompts are the queries we uh, we put into these large language models are not complicated, but they they can be as complicated as you want. But it's not hard to do, and I, really, I think you have to get your feet wet with them, and you jump in and ask. I don't know, tell it to write a poem about something, tell it to give you uh, an answer that you might find trouble getting information on via a search engine. But I I think you really just have to try it and think about things that you do each day where you create text. It might be in the form of an email, it might be a report you have to write, it might be anything that, that contains text at the moment, and this is... This is only a transitional phase, but anything that you do that takes you time to write a letter, to write a, an email, to write a, a memo, to write a report, you can use this tool to help you do it by asking it to give you a, a leg up and tell it what you want, and it will happily produce the text you need. And once again, you might have to give it a bit of a tweak here and there to, to make it what you want it to be, but you would be doing yourself a disservice not to try it. 
It's like saying, yeah, I don't, I don't need a computer on my desk to get my job done, but I'm sure you're more efficient as a result of having that sort of power at your disposal. This is not dissimilar, but it's probably far more useful okay. and across the board. So without going into the, the ethics of who writes what and, and claims the, uh, the rights of, of the words, if you're in an organisation and it is taking on this new technology and it says that you have permission to have access to GPT to write your reports, do you acknowledge and how much do you acknowledge that the report has come that way? I, th I think that's probably individual preference. There is a lot of talk now that content that's created by AI like GPT should have alongside it the fact that it was generated by artificial intelligence. But... Uh, I think, you know, unless you're really trying to do something that is plagiarising someone on purpose or trying to create fake content that looks like it's been made by someone and, you know, doing it in, a, in an underhanded way, I don't think... I don't feel compelled to say something I've written has been courtesy of me starting with content created by a large language model. I guess that's the key, is that you're, you're saying you're starting with that information. You're still going to review it, you're still going to assess it and analyse it, and you're still going to have some input, but it's giving you that base of information to start with. Absolutely. So it's very much like using, if we were writing a, a speech, you know, I know I have a lot of product out there that is a speech template, basically. So people will buy the speech templates and they slot in their information related to their event and, and to them and, and to the story that they want to tell. But the basic template is there for anybody to use and they don't acknowledge the fact that they got the, the, the speech template from me or from anywhere else for that matter. And how often do we search the internet these days for a template for something, you know, for whether it's a report or it's a, a publication of some description? So in that sense, it's probably not any different in that you're, what it's given you is a starting point. I, I, think, that's, I think that's a fair, a, a good analogy, actually. As you were saying that, I was thinking back to stories I've heard of Henry Ford, and Henry Ford was often accused of not being the sharpest tool in the shed in spite of his, his vast successes with the Ford Motor Company. It's, it's reported that he got asked a question once to try to trip him up, and at the time... Henry Ford said, I have six buttons on my desk and I can press any one of those buttons to access an expert who can provide me with whatever answers I need because what he did was the important job of thinking and that having that data in his head would, uh, in his opinion, only have, uh, only have blunted the edge of, uh, of his creative thinking. I think if we look at the GPT, the AI models in this way, what it is, we have on our desk or even on our phone an expert in essentially everything. And if you need information, whether it be about engineering, it might be coding, it might be historical, it might be anything you can think of, you have an expert. And if you're in a position in business where you have experts you can call on to give you answers for specific questions... This is exactly the same thing. Now, that said, you may have heard that these large language models had things called hallucinations. And the hallucination is where it will tell you in no uncertain terms of, of facts that it's come up with to help answer a question. But these can be incorrect. 
I think I think the models themselves cop a lot of bad press as a result of these inaccuracies, but it depends a lot on the sort of questions you're asking. And I must admit, I've only encountered it a couple of times in my using these systems in the last two or three months. And I think the, the upside vastly outweighs the downside. And with these models becoming more mature and the training that they're undergoing by being used by hundreds of millions of people around the world are getting better and better. There will still be hallucinations but I'm sure we come across people in our weekly lives where we have someone who hallucinates to us so don't be too hard on the on the poor old GPT it's there to help you and it's and it's very keen to do so so I think going back to the original question I really think you should try it out uh, if you're scared that it's going to take your job can't help you with that but I think you should try it anyway because it might sharpen the edge of what you can do and make you so much more productive that anyone would be crazy to let you go. We might take a break in our discussion there with Jamie Wadley on all things GPT. Join us for part two, and we're going to, in part two, look a little bit more at what prompting is and what it means and how you can use that to get the best or most useful responses that you need out of these systems. But for now, I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne. This is Inside Exec. <laughs> 